Welcome to Raising Parents 2.0, where we learn to take fear and worry out of life and parenting and lead with love and leadership. I'm your host, Saloni Singh, a mom, a life, family, and self mastery coach. Every week, I'm interviewing inspiring people from all walks of life to talk about the essential ingredients to create a life that inspires you, your children, and make a positive impact in the world too. A life you love living. So let's begin. And today I am so delighted to have someone on the show who I feel is one of the most compassionate person I've ever met, Leon Vanderpol. I haven't met Dalai Lama yet. <laughs> so about <laughs> Leon. <laughs> he has devoted his life to personal development and spiritual transformation. Having spent 10 years in understanding and deepening his own transformation, he then became a coach, a mentor, a spirit-based teacher and healer. Leon is widely acknowledged as a pioneer in the field of transformational coaching and transformative living. He is the founder and director of the Center of Transformational Coaching and the author of book A Shift in Being. Leon lives in Taiwan with his wife and two children. He works with people from around the world and to grow into new paradigms of personal experience born of awakened mind and heart. So very warm welcome, Leon, to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Saloni. Very I'm, good to be here. <laughs> thank you, Leon. And I'm so stoked to really have this conversation with you because let me tell you, when I read your book, I, A Shift in Being, I had just one regret that why didn't I read it in uh, much early in my coaching journey? <laughs> because I could relate and resonate with so many things. Like I was struggling over the years, it's been more than 10 years for me as well in this journey. And everything was just making so much sense. It was just beautiful. So many things I want to talk about the book and your journey as well. And I think this book is really a gift to the world. And everybody, whether a coach, a healer, Anyone, every human being should read this book. I highly recommend this. Thank you. And so thank you for, for writing this beautiful book, Leon. And I would like to start with, um, I, I understand that at the core of your teaching lies the healing and shift in human consciousness. As you've written your Bible, what happens when consistently we begin to experience ourselves beyond our ego-based consciousness as our essential self and soul. So let me ask you, what does it mean for you, a shift in human consciousness? Because I think now more and more people are becoming aware to this fact that we are not just our body and mind. There is more to our experience. And so, so for, for a person maybe who is new in this journey of growth and evolution, how would you like to share what, what is self-evolution and, you know, shift in human consciousness? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think you've started with the hardest question to answer in a short, simplified way, because it is a big question. And everyone has, at least those people who've been on the path, have their own understandings of some of these terms like yes. consciousness or soul or spirit or whatever they mean. So part of it is me sharing just the way I've interpreted it over the years. So when you ask for new people, okay, so for those new to it, this is, this is kind of how I look at it, that consciousness human consciousness has what we could call different levels or paradigms. 
from very low levels, very disempowering states. Sometimes if we put it in a frequency term, we could say low vibrational states, very ego-based, very dense kind of levels of consciousness up, 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 up through various kind of levels or layers until we get to more what we're calling kind of enlightened levels. And these levels really uh, seem to point to a more expansive human consciousness, one that is more of the heart, more of the totality of the human being, the wholeness of our human being. It begins to recognize vast interconnectedness with all things, whereas the lower, denser states are often drenched in the, in the egoic idea of separation. Like, you're over there, and I'm over here. And you're this way, and I'm that way. And all things are actually separate, because that's what my eyes tell me, and that's what I've really bought into. So that can lead to all kinds of judgments and conflicts based on the egoic interpretation of this separation. But as you grow in consciousness, it becomes apparent all, very naturally, without having to try, that there is this vast interconnectedness to all things. And you begin to live through that experience. It's not simply a knowing anymore. As your frequency becomes more light, it carries less of the heaviness of living, the sorrows, the, the difficulties, the challenges that we often carry. All of that's worked through and released we become lighter in being. And we start to recognize that interconnectedness. So the healing of this is really the, the essence of my work, how we expand consciousness that we can more easily and readily uh, live in these higher states if we desire to. This is not for people who don't desire to. But here's the key thing that each state, I like to say each state has its own built-in reality. And this is the piece that can be a bit elusive for people. Every paradigm of consciousness is a paradigm of reality. So as you shift kind of states of consciousness, it's not just that you see a little bit differently. Everything starts to work differently. It works differently. For example, uh, a state of consciousness born of, let's say, um, deep survival, the need to survive in this world. Everything then becomes perceived as a race to the finish line, a competition, a fight for what little there is, is kind of a scarcity mentality, right? That's the survival consciousness. Now you can exist in the world in that way, in that level of consciousness, and that's how everything is experienced. Or if you start to shift to that interconnectedness state, where you start to notice that everything is connected and that what is in me is in you and how I act towards you is how I'm acting towards all, including myself, that state of consciousness, we start to notice more energies available. It's less about survival and more about how do I partner with life? How do I partner with the emerging potentials, with what I see is happening? It's the same external experience. My eyes are the same. They see the same things the survivalist eyes see, but the paradigm of experience is completely different. And that's the beauty of elevation of, elevation of consciousness is that we ultimately experience our life and all in it completely differently. That's just beautiful to be able to see that interconnectedness, to be able to see there is something beyond our survival instincts, right? Correct. You mentioned about the lightness in being. So, uh, as, as uh, you know, in my podcast, we talk about really helping parents to raise themselves, so become yes. aware and conscious so that we can raise our children. So, for somebody who maybe really is stuck in, in thinking, like, okay, I hear that all the time, but still, I have bills to pay, and I have children who want to educate, give good education, and yeah. they're just completely focused on making ends meet. 
but i feel somewhere the desire is there but maybe it's just the rest of the things are over you know completely taken over so how can they start to come to that lightness of their being where even staying in the pragmatic practical world and yeah. the world is so competitive and they are just trying really hard to make it work for yeah. them how do they come to this you know that this is a big part of the way we're raised right we're raised into a world very often where we're taught the competitive nature of life yes. from our early days in school you know you got to examination yourself into the right programs into the right schools and then your life will be okay so we're we're wired from a young age to believe that that's the way life is and needs to be so life becomes a never ending kind of movement for survival and ultimately what we call success oh i've made it to the top of this pile Whew, thank goodness I've made it here. I've got the position, I've got the salary, I've got the house, and now I'm kind of safe, but inside nobody ever feels safe. So they keep striving for more to grow that pile, to sit a little higher, and it can become like that. And some people get, as you said, just kind of at the bottom where every day is a grind, every day is hard, right? And I'm a parent myself, so I understand that because the moment my children were born, there's this kind of instinctive desire to make sure they're protected and cared for and safe in this world. And my job as a parent is to ensure that in some way. But what I've noticed happens is that when we get connected with that need to survive or the belief that it's all about competition or, or making sure we're on the right path or in the right schools or doing the right things, is that as parents, or even as human beings, we start to want to control. Yeah. There's an immediate need then to take control of another human being's life to ensure that it is meeting our expectations and meeting the things that we think it needs to happen to it. So there's a tightening that happens. We start to try to control things more. We become, some of us, control freaks, mm -hmm. micromanaging our lives or even the lives of our children, not trusting them as much with decisions, making decisions for them. You know, I shared with you uh, in an earlier conversation about a coaching client I had whose parents had hired me to help their daughter who was in her early 20s. And she was quite depressed and was having difficulty finding her direction in life. And her parents said, well, you know, maybe Leon, you can help her or work with her. Now, one thing that always happens in coaching, almost always, is when someone is assigned to coaching because of a problem they're having, it's very often the people that do the assigning that need the coaching. <laughs> but that, and that's what we revealed quite quickly was that in essence, there was nothing wrong with this girl. There was nothing that she was doing, but she had been raised by two parents from day one who questioned every decision she made. Every time she said, I want to go in that direction, they say, yeah, but I'm not sure if you can make money doing that. I'm not sure if that's really the best way to use your time. I'm not sure. How about you do this? Or how about that? Now imagine every decision you make that affects your life from a young age on, by the time she got to her 20s, everything she was thinking about was in relationship to whether her parents would question it. She had no self-esteem and confidence to really make her life decisions. And on top of it, she was a very different person. So her father, a successful businessman, her mother, a successful doctor, they had followed the path. They'd done all the right things to attain success in, in their life. They provided everything their children could possibly need. The daughter was an artist who wanted to write and paint and try crazy projects. Right. And her, her success-driven follow the path, parents couldn't get their head around that kind of movement, just a, a kind of a free spirit in the world. Mm -hmm. And free spirits live intuitively. They don't live by reason. 
And yet her parents, everything was reason. So they were controlling, 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 controlling in the name of her betterment. And when she would push back, they would always say, but dear, we love you. We're doing this for your, because we love you and want to help you. So it was always framed as I'm trying to help you with my advice, my guidance, and my kind of subtle manipulation and control over your life so that you do more of what I think is acceptable and less of what you truly want to do, because I think what you want to do is risky. Yeah. So that's what I mean by control. And that is of the survival paradigm. Like that's where people end up who are trying to uh, get by in life and believe everything's a bit of a rat race. Now shift the paradigm into one where there are just expansive levels of trust, trust in yourself, trust in the magic of life, trust in your children to make decisions for them that even if you can't comprehend them are good and right for them, help them discern those decisions. So they are making the best decisions for themselves, not through advice, but just sitting down and helping them connect with what's real for them, what's true for them, and then trust them, trust them even if they fail. Because the learning lessons of their own failures are more valuable than when you steer them away from failure and they miss it altogether because it's what you want to avoid. You want them to avoid failure. Failure is bad. But what happens if you trust even failure as a positive influence in a child's life? We let go of control. So this is where I would start. What I would start with saying, look at all the ways that you might be trying to control, or as, as I call in the book, have an agenda for your children or your spouse. Yeah. And then notice how much that takes in terms of energy and where that's coming from in you. What's the fear, the concern, the worry that underlies your need for control or agenda? That's beautiful. And I can so relate with that. And I remember last time we had the conversation, we were talking about how especially in India and I think in China as well and many Asian countries, like this paradigm is so strong. Like as parents... Yeah have to guide them we have to steer them otherwise as if uh, we just don't trust the wisdom children have and we feel that this is our duty so when i'm listening to you this is coming to my mind because many mothers and and fathers share with me that yes we understand that that we are trying to control and uh, this is not right but i just somehow can't lose control because this is the way as as you said we have been parented so this is yeah. a very deep conditioning so can you suggest something maybe practice or something that parents maybe who are at the verge who understand okay i'm trying to control i'm trying to you know steer my child or comparing my child all the time with others and i don't want to do it but i just can't let go of yeah. my own thinking and belief system yeah. You know, it's funny. It does take time because I am in a, in a, in a mixed marriage. So my wife is Taiwanese and has the, that upbringing. Right. And I have come from an, um, a Canadian upbringing. My parents were Dutch. So there's kind of a mix of Dutch and Canadian. And I was very fortunate in that from a very young age, I was given a lot of freedom to move in life. So I've only kind of known that space, mm. right? The space of freedom to make choices that are wise for me with an immense amount of support from my parents. And when I failed, they never said, I told you so, right? Never. That would never go there. It was just, how can I support you now from this place? So we came together in this marriage with very different ideas about how to raise children. So you can imagine there were some discussions, to yeah. put it lightly, <laughs> that yeah. happened at times about how we're going to raise our kids. Now, my daughter's now 14 and my son's 11. And I would say that after about a decade, my wife is able to say to me, quite honestly, you know, I think I'm starting to get that I need and can let go of more and more. 
And the early years of my children's schooling, she was constantly in conflict with them about their homework and their studies and their grades. And I would come in and say, just allow them the space, allow them the space. And my daughter and her would really go at it in those early years. I mean, my daughter was a feisty one. She wasn't going to lie down and take it. <laughs> she, she, she would stand up to it and say, I don't know why you're doing this. And she would push back. And so there would be these, these fights that would went on. And then my wife began to work with some of these ideas of letting go. Now, today, 14 years old, my daughter and her have a fantastic relationship, getting better all the time. And my wife attributes it to being able to just let her be. Now, she is a bright girl. She can absolutely make right decisions for herself. And she's finding her way beautifully in school. Now, she's getting grades that she's satisfied with, not grades we're satisfied with. Whenever she comes home and dad says, dad, I got 78, 80, 90, 95, doesn't matter what she says, I say, how are you feeling about that grade? She goes, yeah, pretty good. Said, do you want to do better? No, I'm pretty satisfied with the 75. It was 2% higher than last time. Great. Maybe next time, a little more. She said, maybe we'll see how we go. And that's it. Like that's the end of the conversation around grades. So you asked for a technique. Well, so one of the things that I've worked with with my wife as a technique was what's the unspoken fear or concern underneath the control? Mm -hmm. What she would often do was give advice or tell the kids why they had to do something. But she often didn't reveal the deep down concern. The one at the core. Okay. And those are the ones that are often taught and ingrained. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones that often, if you get to the point where you sound them out, sound sometimes ridiculous. Like if you give voice to them, for example, my child is, let's say he's six years old. And I say, okay, to my wife, you're trying to control his studying. You're trying to control what he takes in school. What's the deeper fear? What's the deeper fear? We'll go down a little bit. And here it comes. I'm afraid that when he's 35 years old, he might not be able to get a job, you know, a job that he wants. Some <laughs> projection like 30 years later for a child who's six. But very naturally, the parent, my wife at least, is playing out in her mind the whole trajectory of their life. And somehow this grade in math class is going to have an influence. And, and so that's what I mean. To, when you start to give voice to those underlying fears, the deep ones that play out in your mind that you never voice, but give rise to the advice. That's perfect. Yeah. Start there, giving voice to it and noticing that they can sound ridiculous at times, <laughs> that they are often based on your idea of their future, one that has got no trust in it, that must be managed, controlled, directed, or else there will be some kind of disaster down the line. <sighs> can I just let that go and be with this six-year-old or eight-year-old now with just what is for them, their yeah. experience? Yeah, that, that's amazing. That's re that reminded me of a mom. She came to me for coaching and she said that, you know, I'm so worried about my daughter. She's so shy and I think she will never be able to stand up for herself in her life. And I said, how old she is? And she said, four and a half years. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Isn't that <laughs> that's yeah. amazing. Like, how far? Yeah go in our mind like imagining all these fears i know they come up like that i was going to add one more part because you triggered something in me too and what i also recognized was that both my wife and i as we started to raise our kids we really didn't know anything about the children's brain development this was a learning area for us okay 
So one of the things that was often picked on by my wife with my children who were three years old, like that, like that client of yours, was, well, they're not expressing gratitude. They're not grateful enough for the things they have. Uh, this is not good. And my wife would get quite upset if they didn't express gratitude. Well, if you do some research about children's brain development, you find out that things like gratitude are often later stage developmental uh, areas for, for kids, sometimes in their, in their nine, 10 years old, sometimes in their early teens, it, does the brain not start to get wired towards gratitude? And so here, though, at the age of three and four, arguments are ensuing. And my wife, great concern about my children going to grow up as selfish, self-centered kids because they're not able to express gratitude. And here it's simply a brain development that hasn't happened yet. We get all panicky about these things. Yeah. So learning about child development, another, you know, not a bad area for parents. It's uh, a wonderful point, uh, Leon, because a lot of parents actually, I hear this from, a lot of parents say that, that my child is, you know, they show very entitled behavior. They're not grateful for all they have, they're privileged, and they never show gratitude. I think that is a huge concern for many parents. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we're going to whip gratitude into you. So you grew up guilty for not being grateful for things and you get all this kind of underlying guilt for life. That's what we're doing. We're just instilling in our child a sense that I am not good enough because I'm not showing this behavior or that behavior because we've made them believe they're not good enough. Yeah. And that not good enough meme is one of the greatest seeds and pedimental seeds that a parent can ever plant in their child is you're not good enough. Yeah. Yeah. And we do it all the time. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I think most of the time, of course, it's happening unknowingly. Coming as you know, we're talking about the shadow side of the care. So parents feel that they really care for their children and they really, and uh, out of love and concern, they're just doing it. They want to just constantly improve them, tell them what is wrong. And and of course, which is what is happening is this, this really limiting belief that I'm not good enough in the child. So uh, I think this is one of the um, actually topic I wanted to talk to you was how to really hold space as a parent, mm. even as a partner, as a human being as well, not just for children, for anyone. When we are basically what I see is we are constantly concerned about people rather than trusting in them. So how do we really start to hold space where healing is natural, where blossoming and, you know, children just flourish. How to do that? Yes. yes. And here's the answer everybody will want to hear. They want to hear me say, here's a technique that you can use to hold space for your children. And what I'm going to say is, it's got nothing to do with your children. Until you have learned to hold space for yourself and to heal those inner layers of your own wounded nature, your own egoic constructs, your own conditioned beliefs about your own limitations, Unless you have healed that, there's very little you can do in terms of space holding for another. So the idea here is that we turn the lens on ourselves and we really shine a spotlight and we begin to do our own inner work. Where do I not trust? Where am I less than good enough in my own mind about myself? Where do I see myself being a failure? Or where do I see myself not fitting in or not worthy? All of those underlying constructs that have been implanted in us first need to be attended to. 
Because what happens is naturally, this is an organic process that when we heal these layers in ourselves, these long unattended aspects of our self-concept, we become free. We start to live more openly and trustingly. It's just a natural movement. It's like you let go of the weight, like you're a hot air balloon going up, yeah? And you cut the ballast and the balloon, it goes up because there's a natural propulsion in us towards higher levels of experience when we do the healing work. And it's hard work. I mentioned my wife, 10 years, just to come to a point where she could relax the grip around my children and their studies. But first, she has to do a lot of her own inner work, noticing her own childhood upbringing, all the conflict from her family that still had never been attended, right? All the demands on her as a child that she resisted, but then put up with to be a good girl. You know, in, in Mandarin, they have a word, guai, guai nihan, guai. So guai is the perfect child. Perfect okay. attitude, perfect behavior, perfect marks. Guai nihan, guai. No problem for the parents. They've got a word for it even, right? <laughs> right? So every child here is raised that you're either guai or not guai. And of course, who's guai? I mean, who really is? Only the kids that have somehow succumbed to the pressures of their family who just get in line are truly guai. Yeah. The rest of them, the rest of them just stuff it away, their non guayness And so we all have to attend to that as parents, even. It's not too late. Mm. It's not too late to do our own work. And then what happens is we become, maybe I can breathe into myself. Maybe I can be compassionate with myself. Mm. Maybe I can love myself and trust myself. And what about me trusting life? Maybe I can learn to trust life. And what happens when I start to trust life is that I'm not to now paradigm shifts. I look at my children and go, Maybe I could trust you because you're part of life. And in you is the same life force that is in me. And maybe that life force is more active than I can think to guide you on your optimal life path. Just as I feel now I'm being supported. Ah, and there's a natural extension that comes from having done the inner work yourself. So this is not about tools and techniques for them. It's all about our own inner journey to that place. Beautiful, beautiful. So two questions are coming to my mind, Leo. Maybe let's take one by one. First of all, how would you like to define holding space? So maybe for um, maybe who is new, maybe the term is new for them. What, how would you define that? And other thing I want to know is what kind of inner work you have done in your life, which has led to the transformation in your, the shift in your being? I would love being, yeah. Uh, I'll start with the first question around how to define a held space. I like to use an image. So the, the best image that I can think of is in nature, and it is the cocoon. Yeah. Okay, so we have these remarkable creatures called caterpillars that have this ability to metamorphosize into butterflies. It is one of the true great mysteries of life about how it actually happens. But the one thing that's essential to it is the cocoon. It would never happen without the cocoon. Just in a, a short story. So what happens to a caterpillar is it actually kind of dies. Mm. It, it starts to die. There's kind of a death process, a goo that comes. And if you were to cut it open, you wouldn't see much of a caterpillar left. You'd see this goo. And then one day these new cells start appearing. They call them imaginal cells. Ping, 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 ping. And at first the dying caterpillar's immune system will jump on those cells, wipe them out. 
But over time, there's so many of these new cells emerging in this dying and decaying caterpillar that the old immune system can't keep up. So what we have here is effectively a kind of a death process. And in that death process, there's a renewal process. And at first, the death will try to kill the renewal away. But in time, those cells join to form cell clusters. And those cell clusters form parts of the new butterfly. And the butterfly emerges. Okay. So there's this, there's this transformative process happening within. It's the same with human beings. Where if I'm going to hold space for myself or for others, I'm recognizing that they're going through something. And very often it's a kind of a struggle. What am I struggling with? What am I resisting? What do I need to let go of? What is not coming that I want to have come? How do I let come, let emerge? And they're in that struggle. So the cocoon is this idea that we can hold the space for it without being attached to what's going on in the struggle and without needing the struggle to be different than it is. The human way is, oh my goodness, my child, my friend, my loved one is struggling in their life. What can I do to make it go away, to help them get back to normal because it's wrong, it's bad, it's not good to feel this way. Uh, and then we try to intervene with our children. Here's solutions, mm. whatever it might be. I'm going to fix your problem. In transformative work, we're not looking to fix anybody's problem. We're looking to, so as, a, as one person put it so astutely, we're not here to change how they feel. We're here to accompany them as they feel. Beautiful. Okay? So the cocoon, this idea that I can be a space in which another person feels whatever they feel, thinks whatever they think, struggles with whatever they struggle without me needing to change it, fix it, solve it, or make it go away because I realize it's an essential part of growth. But the held space can be a magical thing for people because they can feel safe in it. They can feel that there's a partner in it. Whereas often we feel alone in these processes and then somebody else comes along and tries to give us advice. Here we're saying someone else can come along, but they hold the space for you to process, to talk through, to feel, to be angry or sad, happy or joyful, not if that's the case. And I'm there with you. So that's the held space. It is of our presence. It's born of our presence, and you can think of it like an energetic cocoon that we hold for people. The challenge for parents will be how to, how to really stay detached. Because naturally, when I see my child suffering, I want that suffering to go away. And even me, like it was a big journey to there's my daughter, my son, they're crying from wanting to just like make that better, to just, I am here for you. I'm going to sit next to you, and I'm just going to be here energetically for you and to let you talk to me if you want to talk or not, whatever. And that's the held space, if that makes some sense. Total sense. And I can so relate with that, Leon. Currently, as you know, uh, in COVID you know, times, I, mean, I, I can see even my daughter is really struggling. And my own struggle to just really wanting to, you know, somehow fix their pain. Somehow I can make them feel better because... It's like a huge roller coaster. They haven't been able to meet their friends, go to school. And some days they just are like, we just don't want to go out of the bed. We just want to stay in the bed and just sad yes. and irritated. And it it's really takes a lot of work. And I usually do that. Just go in my meditation before I see them. Because otherwise I'm going to ask them, okay, you have to come out. You have to do this or that. Yeah. But really. And the parent. 
Oh, sorry, finish your thoughts. Sorry. I was just saying what you said that just be that energetic presence. Mm. That I am here whenever you want to talk because there are times they say that we don't want to talk about it. I, I, we are just hating it, but when the school is not there, we can't go and meet our friends, but we just don't want to talk about it. And it's about just allowing them to be whatever they want to be in that Whatever moment. they want to be, right. And knowing that we stand there in support of them. Yeah. And here's the challenge, because us parents are going through COVID too. So who's holding space for us? And people will ask this, you know, well, I'm doing all of this for everyone else, trying to keep this house from sinking. And no one's doing it for me. And I'm exhausted. This is what I'm hearing a lot. I'm exhausted. And we hear this a lot from people who are taking our courses. Like we have a beautiful eight-week course on holding space to help people learn this kind of art of holding space for others. And one of the things that participants say is, I'm here because no one was holding space for me. And I want to learn two things. One, how to better hold space for myself and then how to hold space for others because both are important. But by being in this group, I feel like my space is being held by this group of people in this coursework. And I have a chance to start to begin to release and talk about how it's impacted me this COVID time. And then they'll be able to go back into their homes. And this has been the beautiful part. Like we see these participants going back into their homes and some of them, their parents are dying in the room next door, right? Right next door. Mom's, mom's dying. Dad's not sure how to handle it because he's in another room and we're all locked in. But they're able to go back in and just say, okay, I can reconnect with that essential source energy in me because I've had a place to go where space was held for me. So if we're ignoring ourselves in this, that's why I mentioned earlier, we've got to care for ourselves in this. It's about our own inner work. If we're ignoring that and always serving other people, we will find ourselves ultimately depleted in time. So it's good to get some understanding of how held space is done and to have it done for us. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful, really. I think it also goes to making sure that you're also surrounded by people. So self-nurturing as well as being surrounded by people who can hold space for you as well. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You had a second question. I didn't answer that. Yes, yes, please. <laughs> what have I done? Right. <laughs> yeah. I want to know about your journey, your journey, yeah. of, you know, shift in your being. Well, there's nothing that I teach or speak about that hasn't had application in my life. That's the good thing is that whatever I teach or work with, I've had to work with it as well. My own journey has started when I was fairly young, I guess. I've always had a fairly free spirit myself. And from you know, late, late uh, teens, end of high school, into university and on, I've always just followed kind of my own drummer. Did some <laughs> corporate work in there. And when I found that was soul-sucking, I moved off to Asia and kind of found my way through Asia and different places. I live in Thailand and Phuket and Taiwan for 20 years now, and I've moved around in different ways, different kinds of work, all related to human development. But underneath all of that was this sense of, what is that greater purpose that I'm here for in this world? What is my greater purpose? And a lot of people on this awakening path are seeking that greater purpose and understanding. And it wasn't something that came easily. I think that's a bit of a misnomer, like just find your purpose and off you go. But it's not quite as linear as that, because now we're talking about nonlinear reality. It's almost like 3D living. If I do this, this will happen. Cause and effect. 
linear A to B. As we start going to transformation, we're moving into more like a 5D paradigm, where again, the interconnectedness, the wholeness of it means any two points are connected, even though there's no straight line between them. And so cause and effect is never discernible. And therefore, I can't just say, if I do this, that'll be the effect. If I do this because I'm called to do it, then I have to sit back and trust the return. So through my grinding away to find my purpose, I had to come to one really big understanding. And that was, I had to become the person for whom my purpose, maybe that's not the right way to say it. Yes, it is. Okay. I had to become the person for whom my purpose was possible. I had to become the person for whom my high dreams were possible. In other words, when you're looking at doing that, which is of your highest calling, there is a becoming process. You have to become the person for whom that high dream is possible. And I used to think early on in my journey, if I can conceive of it, it should be possible today. Yeah. I'm already ready. I'm ready for it. Life, bring it on. <laughs> but what I realized... Life is like, no, we don't quite believe you are really ready for the high dream that you are truly possible of having and being. You need to go on a journey, and we're going to make sure that you are on that journey. And it was one of spiritual growth primarily for me. So I recall even this about 15 years ago, starting to really do the healing work. That was a big piece of it. I was lucky to be in a city. I was in Taipei City at the time. And I got connected with an international community of coaches, trainers, facilitators, and healers who were all in a kind of learning space. And we would come together frequently for conversation and dialogue. So community was a big piece of, the, of finding right community. But the other part was a lot of the people were uh, learning healing modalities. And I would say yes to anything anyone would offer. <laughs> because there was something in me that knew there were pieces of me that needed to heal, whether it was deep spiritual healing or Reiki or EFT or cranial sacral, it didn't matter. I knew there were pieces that had to heal. So I wasn't just randomly, randomly running around. It wasn't like I was random in it. It was almost as though every time there was something that I needed to heal within myself that I was coming up against, a resistance, a barrier, something that was old and sticky and maybe dark, whatever it might have been, pain, sorrow, long-held disappointment, anything like that. It was almost as though there would be a person who would just show up in my life and say, hey, I'm doing this. Would you like to try? And in trust, I would say, it feels like perfect timing. <laughs> yes, let's try that. And I would go do that for a period of time with the person until it felt like that was complete. And then off I would go again. So there was this good period. It was a good six to eight years in which I was doing healing work on myself. And at the same time, I was kind of experimenting because I was also learning coaching and being a professional coach. I was experimenting with things in my coaching space around helping people in a coaching context heal. And that got really interesting because that's when I started to recognize there are things that we can do in a coaching space with each other that coaching is not teaching, that coaches may not even be aware is possible. And the beauty of this kind of deep work, and I will forever say this, is that when you get into a pure deep coaching space, a true held space in which we're inviting in our highest selves and connection with source, it's almost like the two become as one. 
the energy just becomes this like container itself for the two of us, coach and, and client. And the beautiful thing is then whatever happens for the client happens for the coach. That idea that I am coach observing you, the client, just falls away. Mm. And the healing that begins to happen for the client is simultaneously happening for the coach as it's simultaneously happening for all of humanity because all is connected. It's all part of the whole of healing human consciousness, evolving human consciousness. So imagine I'm in coaching session after coaching session after coaching session, which I am supporting my clients to heal. And in every single one, I'm doing the work for myself. In every single one, I invite whatever's happening for them to happen to me at core levels, at an un unconscious level, at a cellular level, at a DNA level, at a genetic level, like whatever level the healing needs to happen, I'm open. And this journey of doing the work, plus kind of finding my way into my purposeful work, is the core. And everything that I teach comes from this journey of what happens when we peel away peel away, peel away all that is not reflective of who we are at the core of our being. What happens when we do that is we emerge into a new paradigm where everything just is different. Yeah, that's... It works different. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I loved what you said about both coach and the coachy healing in the same space. So basically, it's just mm. the space become a healing space. The health space itself is a sacred healing space. Yes. It's beautiful. Yeah. When I was reading your book, uh, I remember this nine practices you have shared beautifully in the book, Leon, and the first one, the slowing down. And I, I, as far as I remember in my journey, this was the first lesson I learned and I'm still learning because it's like it's, it's never enough of slowing down. And the way you have described was just so beautiful. So I really want you to share, okay, what is because I feel whenever there is some chaos is going on in my life, the first thing I need to do is to slow down. I'm very sure of that, that I've got that much. Yeah. So what does it mean to truly slow down and how can we start, you know, really bringing that in our lives? Yeah, this is a huge one. You mentioned nine practices. These are transformative practices. So the idea of each of these practices is contextual. I'll just say that first, meaning that if we're interested in transforming our inner reality, these practices support transformation. So when we talk about slowing life down, it doesn't mean you slow every single thing you do down. Like if you want to go run a running race, it doesn't mean you're now going the slowest you can go. Okay, it's, it's contextual work. And the context is transformation, transformative growth. We're all living in these busy lives, responsibilities and things and projects, and we're chasing and chasing and running after and organizing and striving and all of this is going on. Well, all of that is wonderful and gives people some satisfaction, absolutely. But often then when the kind of impulse to awaken comes in, people start to question, like, why am I living this way? And really, why am I pursuing what I'm pursuing? And why is working 12 hours a day so vital to me? And why do I feel stress? And we start to question it all. Mm -hmm. Some people, too, feel that in that more linear world, if I feel like I've got a lot to do, it just means I need to move faster and get it done, get more organized, right? <laughs> right. So if you're interested in saying, okay, I want to really look at why I do why I do, why do I experience my life this way? Slowing down is the first step. And it's so hard for people to slow life down, to make space for contemplation, 
for the inner work, for relationships and conversation to really make it spacious because it triggers the fear of, oh my God, if I do this, what will happen to all the things I need to take care of? So immediately again, it's fear that drives the day. So I was like, okay, well, I can probably do a 15 minute meditation in the morning, but then I'm going to get into my day full steam ahead and off they run. They make a tweak. So I'm not talking about tweaking. We're talking about making space for transformative growth. It's not tweaking the system. It's a revolution of the system. We're rewriting our operating system. And if we're not taking the time to look at the operating system to really know it, how can we rewrite it? The best we can do is make it a little more user-friendly and rewrite the surface code or make the, make the interface a little bit more enjoyable. But the coding is what we're talking about. The slowing down. How do we slow down? <sighs> Breathe into life so that I can begin to connect with myself and with life and people and just notice. Right? I had a client. This was fun. He decided that he was going to take on this practice. And he was a CEO of a small engineering company. And it was so fun because he decided, okay, what I'm going to do is every day, he was going to start with a tweak. I'm going to come home from work. I'm going to go sit on the back porch for 30 minutes. I'm just going to breathe and be with nature. And I'm going to do that every day for 30 minutes. It's like, that's great. Go ahead. Well, week one, he comes back. It's like, I, I made it five. I made it five minutes. And then I had, to, you know, some twitch went off where I had a thought. Oh, I need to check my device. Or a worry thought. Oh, I got to do this. Oh, I got to attend to that. I better write that down. And off he'd go. He couldn't get through 30 minutes of nothing. It took us months to get him to that point. And that was just one aspect. But what happened now is he started to become more conscious of the speed at which he lived, the stress levels, how he would manufacture stress just by a negative thought, a worrying thought. That even when he was slowed down doing nothing, he was spending that time worrying about what he wasn't doing and making mental lists of what he had to write down as soon as that 30 minutes was over. Yeah. So this is how hard it can be Good. to just slow down a little. We moved from Taipei to the South here. We reconfigured our whole life. Our decision was we're leaving that bustling, massive, on-the-go, 24-7 Asian city. We're going to come down to this smaller city in, in the South where the sun shines 300 days a year, the beach is right next door, and we're going to slow down. And for my wife and I, it was like we had to rewire the brain. I remember driving, like almost running people off the road at first because I was driving Taipei speed. And down here, they're just going old people speed on their scooters, bicycles. Like they're just, they just own the road. You like, you slow down. But I was like, eh, eh, gone, eh, eh. like Taipei driver. It took months to just be with the flow of traffic in this city. So the full practice is slow it all down and sync with the rhythm of life and spirit. The rhythm of life and spirit and sync to that yeah. and then start to notice what changes and it's hard rhythm of life and spirit not not the rhythm of mind yeah, yeah. that's beautiful that's beautiful
So what I understand it's about really uh, kind of reflective in nature, just noticing, okay, where I'm rushing too much, where I'm not able to just keep patience and just making those small changes to really feel that you're you're more able to breathe rather than just constant yeah. running. Yeah. yeah. If you're with kids, I mean, imagine you come home from wherever and you're just in that wound up space and right away you're just noticing all the things they haven't been doing. Mm. Oh, how much time have you been spending on your iPad? Get off that iPad. Are you on your phone? And just immediately trying to control because all the worrying thoughts and all the things that didn't get done and it just comes sucking in. So noticing is where we begin. Yeah. Yes. And then comes the conscious intent to make change. So noticing first and then conscious intent to make a shift. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful. So uh, I think we're just towards the end. I, what I want to ask you, Leon, is that how can parents, you know, uh, really can start to bring the shift in, in their you know, thinking process towards transformation. And I remember uh, one of the practices about embodying our you know, spiritual values you have talked about. So maybe a little bit if you can touch on that, because I believe all parents are coming from a place of love. It's just, it's not being you know, translated that much the way we are talking or the way we are being with our children. So how can we embody that more and bring that more in our communication as well? Yeah. Yeah, what you're speaking about is what I call the shadow side of caring. Right? All of that control and all of that tightness around our kids is the shadow side of caring. But what you're also speaking about is our, another of the nine practices, which is how we begin to live our values. Yes. And in this case, we talk about spiritual values because they are the ones that are often born of love consciousness. So compassion, care, kindness, love itself are the spiritual values that many people hold. However, as you said, they are often just an idea in the mind more than a lived reality. They're often paid lip service to like, I love you, yeah. but here's how I'm going to completely control what's going on for you or demand things of you or make you feel less than you truly are. But I love you, but you're not meeting my expectations, but I love you, but you're really not that great but I love you. You see, it just it's all interwoven, these mixed messages. There's always a but. <laughs> there's always a but, right? We don't always say the but, but yeah. there's always a but. And if we do say it, then kids often get the but and they are sure to recognize, yeah, mom and dad love me, but I'm really not that, I'm really not that great. There's something wrong with me or I'm less than, I'm really not that good. And, you know, that movie, The Three Idiots, that Indian movie, like, I mean, to me, that was just like, oh, my goodness, what an eye-opener movie. Recommending everyone see it, of course, because it speaks to the conditioning of self, of parents and society and the impact on children who may have different ideas for their life. But coming back to the practice, as you said, okay, so the idea is that we start to identify our spiritual value. And then we notice sort of, am I the living embodiment of that? Am I the living embodiment? It means it's in me. It's my way. So if you say, uh, one of them is, I'm, I'm love, I am love, I love my children, but I am, I am love, I want to be loving in this world. Okay, again, noticing, well, what are all the ways that you are not the embodiment of love? And we can probably pretty quickly notice that much of our day we're spending in our head, not necessarily in a spaciousness of love consciousness. So love consciousness, again, as we get to these higher levels of consciousness, I mentioned they become expansive. So we start to feel them as expansive. 
versus constricted and tight, mm-hmm. they start to feel very expansive. Yeah. So one of the exercises I do with uh, the students in the deep coaching intensive is say, okay, let's pick a value, let's bring it into our mind, and let's feel it as an energy. Okay. Not as an idea or even an image, but as an energy. Okay, so what's the energy of love? And we start to connect with it and we start to feel it. Okay, so maybe I feel an opening in my heart or in this area. There's this energetic feel that's without label, but that we are sensing as a field of love. Mm. And we can begin to expand in that. And this is what I mean by embodiment, because it has an embodied feeling. Like it's as though our body is beginning to vibrate physically at this level. And there is a physical change. There's a mental change and there is an emotional change. It all begins to align with this vibration. And then when we just sit there in love and notice its expansive nature, we're beginning a transformative process for ourselves. We're becoming that. And you start to act from that space, noticing how you act differently, the decisions you made. When fear is not there as a driver of behavior, when you are the embodiment of love, which includes trust and compassion and belief and faith. It's just there. When you are the embodiment of that, how do you choose differently? How do you speak differently? How do you act differently? Notice what comes forth when you are fearless, truly fearless in love. And that's the act. That's the practice. And you can do that with any spiritual value, you know, with peace or joy or compassion or kindness or potential or whatever it is that we identify. Notice the energy of it. And then bring it into you as a way of being, and then start to act from that way of being. That's beautiful. And I believe this is something we have to do on a daily basis to really start to embody that that energy of that spiritual value. That was just beautiful, I think, to wrap up our uh, conversation. Leon, any last message would you like to give to our listeners? And parents, whoever is listening or viewing us uh, about, yeah. about the being who, who really they want to be. Yeah. 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 The one thing I would say, I'll just say it as it relates to children. We are growing up now in a world that is very different from the world that we knew, and very different from our parents' world. Our yeah. parents grew up in a world in which perhaps there was more need to survive. And for some people, survival is still the daily, the daily task. But I have a feeling that the people listening to this podcast may be ready to move beyond survival as a means for living in this world. Okay. So if that's really your intention to move into new paradigms of experience, then the work begins with yourself, not the kids. The kids are growing up in a new paradigm already. They're growing up in a world that is awakening. Our kids, for the much truth, is that they're already awakening. We hear crystal children, crystal children right? These children are, the thing we can do is shut that down. We can smother crystal children. We can snuff that light out. But if we start to see them as being part of this new world, this new consciousness, and let them really find their way, magical things will happen with them. But you have to trust yourself, life. You have to trust them. You have to trust yourself with them in this more freed, expansive space. So, of course, the work, as I said, begins with ourselves so that we usher in transformative awareness and growth for ourselves. It'll naturally extend into our children's lives and they will grow up able to live in a world 
that is not safe, quote unquote, not stable, not certain. It's all those things. They need to be able to dance in uncertainty to survive and thrive in the new world. So let them live today in uncertainty, knowing that you are the cocoon in which that uncertainty can find its way. That's so, so beautiful. So beautifully you have put that, Leon. Thank you so much for this amazing, amazing conversation. Thank you. You're very, very welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm sure that you enjoyed this soulful conversation with Leon Vanderpol as much as I did. I would ask you to go and visit Leon's website. The link is in the show notes and check out his work. And I would highly recommend his book, A Shift in Being to everyone, whether you are a coach, a parent or not, and learn about how to create transformation and shift in your being. And if you are someone on your spiritual and evolution journey and longing for learning more and growing more, and if you would like to know more and get some support on that, I would invite you to connect with me for a conversation where we can explore how can I support you in your journey. You can get in touch with me by emailing me at coach at salonisync.com. And I will be bringing another amazing guest on the podcast. Till then, keep evolving, keep growing and keep inspiring yourself and your children by living an amazing life. If you like this podcast and our conversation, please do share with other people and also leave a review for us on CastBox or Apple Podcasts or YouTube. I would highly appreciate your feedback. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye.